Islamic Finance News, the world's leading Islamic finance news provider, this is IFN Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the show. My name is Winnie Tatan, the Managing Editor of Islamic Finance News, and I'm your host today. How has the Islamic real estate market performed during the ongoing global health crisis? Now, over 18 months ago, at the onset of the pandemic, which forced many countries into lockdown, there was indeed a real concern over the adverse impact it would have on the real estate sector, as there were fears for other sectors of the economy. Shakil Ali, a partner and the global head of Islamic finance at international law firm CMS, tells us there are, however, silver lining amid this storm. It is also worth noting that CMS is the winner of the IFM Best Law Firm for the year 2021. So welcome to the podcast, Shaquille. Now, before we start, I'd like to congratulate CMS for winning IFN Real Estate Law Firm of the Year. It's indeed an exciting time for for the law firm. It is indeed. And so Mm -hmm. thanks ever so much. It was was a real honour to be receiving the award, particularly from the IFN, which in my view is the standout um, market-leading commentator for for Islamic finance. So really, really honoured and humbled to be awarded the prize. Great. So let's just today we're going to talk about real estate market. I want to start our conversation with really understanding how the global pandemic has impacted the global real estate market. I, I think that's a really interesting question. Um, I think it really depends at what juncture you look at the pandemic and what your outlook was at the outset. So from personal experience, I think in March of 2020, when the pandemic really set in, we started getting into lockdowns, there was a belief that the real estate market would be very, very hampered, that there would be a lot of distress and essentially deals would stop. Looking at uh, the real estate market globally, uh, kind of 18 months later or just over 18 months later, I think a lot of those warnings and fears that people had have not fortunately come to fruition. And Mm -hmm. in our experience, the real estate market globally has been very buoyant. And that's both from an investment perspective of investors acquiring real estate assets and also from a funding perspective of, of, of banks and funders being willing, willing to advance monies in respect to real estate globally. Yeah, which is why um, the law firm has been kept pretty busy over the last 12 months with real estate uh, deals. I was just wondering from all the deals that you've done over the last year or so, were there anything that is worth taking note of, anything that Islamic finance practitioners should take note of in terms of like were there any particular like trends or anything that you've observed i think that that question can probably split into or be split into a few component parts i think the thematically one of the key takeaway points i've had from the pandemic is that there is a desire for investors particularly to have yield and pricing expectations have been moderated so that for the right asset uh, traditional investors sure compliant investors have been able to go and look for more compressed yields depending on the quality of the underlying tenant and so what we've seen particularly at the outset of the pandemic was a lot of uh, particularly real estate um heavy uh, sectors such as uh, retail and the like being really affected. And so there's been a drive to quality or a flight to quality. And so 
that desire to get a better strength covenant has meant that yields have come down for many sure compliant investors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A related point to that is that geographically, investors have looked outside of traditional markets. And, and probably the single deal that I'm probably the most proud of over the course of the pandemic is we acted for Abu Dhabi Islamic Bank on financing uh, the acquisition of PwC's headquarters in Belfast. Right. And the reason the reason why that transaction particularly stands out is that firstly, there are very few, if any, Sharia compliant transactions that had previously been undertaken in Northern Ireland. So it's great for Islamic finance to be able to go uh, globally into new markets. And secondly, it demonstrated a sophistication, I think, of Sharia compliant investors willing to look outside of traditional markets. Many, many investors, for example, in looking into the UK would have only ever focused on London. But we've got investors now looking into core cities and into geographies that they may not have originally considered, but they see the strength of that local market and then they make a, a informed choice based on the micro market rather than the macro uh, effects of the pandemic. So obviously, as you've mentioned, investors are getting more sophisticated. Are we also seeing, quote unquote, more sophistication in terms of structuring deals? Yeah, most definitely. Yes. I think the there was a, a preponderance within global Islamic finance for there to be relatively simple structures because there was a belief mm-hmm. that if you made it too complicated, it wouldn't be understood by participants. But as the industry has become more sophisticated, then I think there's been an understanding that the underlying structures can be can be more sophisticated, provided that the associated costs are mitigated by the revenue that's generated from those structures. One other really important development uh, in, in my time of working in the industry has been that Sharia scholars have increasingly become more familiar and adept at assisting clients to tr- structure deals in a Sharia compliant manner where originally or, or theoretically they may not have been uh, deemed to be Sharia compliant but once you can have a conversation with a scholar to be able or an advisory firm to explain why a, a structure is being documented in a particular way then scholars as they have improved their own knowledge have been able to come up with some very inventive uh, suggestions in some instances to allow for Sharia compliant uh, investors to to be able to structure deals in a manner which is in accordance with their principles. And I think one key point which often gets overlooked is for any any practitioners in Islamic finance, for those of us who are passionate about the industry, we want to see it grow. What we don't want to do is limit or inhibit its development. And so it's really, really important for there to be a collaborative process to helping uh, generate more sophisticated products and products which open the Sharia compliant universe to a greater number of investors. And whether that's retail or institutional, then it's really, really important for us to be working with that as as a central goal, i.e. we all want to, to do transactions, we all want to help the industry move forward. Mm-hmm. So from what I gathered so far is that the we, we sort of kind of bucked the trend or expectations for uh, about the impact of fallout from the pandemic. And it looks like it sounds like that there is also growing sophistication or understanding as investors and, and as well as Australian scholars uh, coming up with, you know, new or more innovative structures for, for Islamic finance deals. Then what then, in your opinion, are so, some some of the pain points that still remain as far as like Islamic finance or real estate is concerned? 
I think there's a few. Um, probably the biggest, in my opinion, is that there aren't as many Sharia compliant funding solutions as there are relative to conventional and, and relative mm -hmm. to the conventional market. So one of the challenges or one of the perceptions historically has been that Sharia compliant structures would be A, more expensive and B, that the funding terms wouldn't be as attractive. Now, we are in the position where Sharia compliant funders are able to offer very competitive terms and, and not too dissimilar from their conventional counterparts, which is great. But I think there does need to be an understanding or hopefully an encouragement of, of more participants coming into the industry. And there are certainly signs of that which are to be lauded. So, for example, in the UK, there has been in the course of the past 12 to 18 months, a Sharia compliant a bridge funder launched called Offer. Offer have come in and they're the first and only Sharia compliant bridge funder currently operating in the UK market. But what that shows you is that where there is a desire to have a product there and there is clearly a demand for that product, then those businesses should be successful. Similarly, um, I think the the related point is as as sophistication has improved, it has meant that Sharia compliant investors have been competing with uh, traditional conventional uh, institutional investors like funds and the like. And so it's meant that there has been a need or there is a need to ensure that Sharia compliant investors, when they make their offers, they are deemed to be as strong, if not stronger than conventional counterparts to be able to secure assets. So I think the two major pinch points will be one, the ability to source competitive debt terms because almost all Sharia compliant investments are structured using or have leverage involved in them. And the second is the ability to access the 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 deals which are most attractive in the market and that means that you are then competing against more institutional uh, grade investors so i'm also curious you know you've mentioned northern ireland uk to you what are some of the more exciting markets for islamic real estate so we are seeing i think islamic real estate can be is pretty global. So you'll see yep. transactions being structured in, in places like Australia, Malaysia, the Middle East. In Europe, you've got the UK, Germany, France, and then you've got the US. So it does truly straddle the globe. I think there are a few key markets for a Sharia compliant uh, real estate, in particular, those outside of, outside of the, shall we say, the Muslim world are really the UK and the US. Um, and increasingly places like Germany. And then we're also seeing interest in uh, places like Poland, which and the Ukraine, which you haven't considered before, but again, it's a drive to buy quality assets in in solid locations. So, do you think the take up now more it's it's is driven really by um, a, a growth or or a development in terms of um, understanding Islamic finance or just just awareness? I think most definitely it's 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 a combination of understanding and the ability to deliver on the understanding. Mm -hmm. So it's great it's great to have a, uh, an awareness within the wider financing community that Islamic finance is a product that can be utilised, and we've obviously seen large institutional investment banks and the like participating in Islamic finance. But the key thing then is to be able to deliver that on that knowledge and to be able to transact, because. Theory is, is all fine and well, but unless you actually do the deal, then there's not going to be any kind of track record. And I think that's the key thing that when you, for any investor or funder, they need to be able to demonstrate that either they can fund the transaction or that they've got the ability to complete the transaction. And you only get that by virtue of 
completing a transaction uh, and it being successful and the funder being paid out at the end of the tenor. So the longer, the, the more of a track record that participants have, the, the stronger a proposition that they, they will be able to uh, deliver. And there are, there are examples within Islamic finance where you have very strong uh, track record and the ability to access uh, very, very uh, high profile assets. And so a particular case in point is when you look at some of the sovereign wealth funds in places like Malaysia and Indonesia, they have very much the bent strength to be able to transact on high profile deals. And they have the sophistication to be known, uh, sorry, to, to understand the risks involved and then also to be able to get market participants aware of their ability to deliver. So there are certainly examples out there that that prove that conceptually this can be done and now it's just a question of a greater number of people being able to show that they can they can transact and 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 that's i think how the islamic financing industry will continue to grow so what would you tell let's say to a client a potential client who has never never done any islamic deals um what what, what should they be aware of or what should they take note of um when considering whether or not to to conduct their deals in the share compliant manner one word that immediately springs to mind with that question is demystifying. And what I mean by that is Islamic finance is often misunderstood. It's, it's mm. misunderstood because, for example, it's it's thought to be exclusive to Muslims and only limited to Muslims. Um, whereas the reality is that Islamic finance is open for all, whether whether Muslim or non-Muslim of, of a particular faith system or no faith system. Islamic finance is there as a solution to those who have concerns about the conventional financing system, for example. Whether okay. those ethical or religious, whatever they may be, Islamic finance provides an alternative route to be able to avail of a financing solution. And I think the key thing there, then, when you talk about demystifying, is that is at every stage of the process that you need to be able to explain the differences between a conventional transaction and a Sharia compliant transaction, and then also within that, being able to take your client through that whole process from cradle to grave. And within any transaction, you're really looking at three key components: you have uh, legal, you have commercial, and you have tax. So the legal is very much can this structure work in a, in a, from a legal perspective? Uh, will the buyer or the funder have legal certainty that their rights are going to be protected? The Sharia is very much about structuring a transaction in accordance with Sharia principles and making sure that the, whilst we obviously encourage uh, um, development, that those developments are within Sharia parameters. And then the commercial is, is the considerations that an investor is going to have commercially is going to be the same, whether this is a conventional transaction or a Sharia compliant transaction. But simply, a Sharia compliant investor does not want to have their commercial return prejudicially affected by virtue of the structure. So if there is a material difference, then Sharia compliant investors will will query why that material difference exists. And so it's really important to be able to take one's clients through that journey, identify all of those points, and then work with fellow professionals. So whilst I'm a, a solicitor in a, in a very large law firm, I work very closely with tax colleagues uh, in, in accountancy firms, for example. I work closely with insurance brokers. I work closely with real estate agents, all with a view to helping clients buy assets or fund assets, or whatever it may be. So the, the key here is the ability to demystify Islamic finance and and help clients go through that process. Absolutely. Um, Shaquille, what is your outlook for the Islamic 
real estate finance market for the coming year? I, I'm hoping, sincerely hoping that you'll continue the growth trajectory that there has been to date during the pandemic. So in the pandemic, there's been a sense to which a lot of the worst fears have not been achieved and we hope that continues. And obviously the, the most important thing to say here is that we hope that the pandemic is is truly behind us and that the whole world is able to move on from what has been an incredibly challenging experience. And, and obviously there's been a huge impact on, on people individually as well as in businesses, and we must never forget that. So the world has truly changed. And what I expect in the course of the next year is real estate globally to continue to grow. And for the, the trends which have been accentuated by virtue of the pandemic to maybe start ameliorating to a degree. So things like, for example, more people will go back into the office, the trend to for individuals to move out of cities and go more into rural uh, or rural areas will probably dissipate slightly. But fundamentally, what we need to do is is face that challenge head on because there are undeniably headwinds and probably the single biggest headwind that I think is out there is inflation. Mm. So at most global economies that you look at, they are suffering infl inflationary pressures above what they would ordinarily accept. And as the economies come back and price pressures increase and we've had logistics supply problems globally, we've had inflation in, for example, building materials and the like and, and shortages of microchips, you look at the full value chain, there are significant inflationary pressures. That then has a direct impact on funding costs and so therefore yields for investors. So I would say inflation is probably the single biggest challenge for global re global real estate. What about CMS? What can we expect from the law firm? Can you share anything that you guys have been working on? What's going to keep you busy over the next like 12 to 18 months? Yes, I think the, the trends that we've seen will uh, will continue in the for the foreseeable future. And those trends are really a a growth in the number of investors, particularly looking to invest in a sure compliant manner. And then what's been really pleasing, and particularly during the pandemic, is I've had a number of instances where you've had very large blue chip global funds wanting to structure their investments in a sure compliant manner and having conversations around how that can be operated. And what's really pleasing about that is a it shows Islamic finance is is growing and, and familiarization is growing. But it also shows that there is a willingness to go through that learning curve and structure a deal in a Sharia compliant manner. But the key thing is that this is not a Sharia compliant transaction purely for one client. It's a Sharia compliant transaction that in the case of a fund can be rolled out for multiple clients. And I think that, again, is, is really important when you alluded to before about how helping new uh, clients into the industry and demystifying. It is about saying, well, you may have day one costs, but those day one costs can effectively be amortized over a number of transactions because mm -hmm. you can re you can reuse the knowledge that you've got in others in other instances. And so I've had a number of Global funds approach me for assistance to help structure their transactions in a sure compliant manner. Excellent. I think we'll also see developments in areas like student loans. So there was a, a recent um, uh, petition sent into yeah. 10 Downing Street, re student loans, for example, which I know the IFN would have picked up on. So there will continue to be uh, innovation. And I think one thing we, we've managed to go through that this podcast without actually mentioning an incredible, incredibly important sector, which is fintech. 
And so when you look at when you look at whether the UK, Malaysia, the UAE, Bahrain, places that are at the forefront of fintech, that is an incredible success story. And you are now having very, very credible offerings going out to the market. So one one name that immediately comes to mind is Nesta in the UK. So Nesta is the first FCA Sharia compliant authorized peer-to-peer funder. And I think what's incredible about that is that is taking a conventional blueprint and, and uh, applying it in a Sharia compliant manner. And when you've got innovations like that, you've got firms like Wahed and you've got firms like Kestrel, for example, just and that's just in the UK alone. It means that the, the story is really looking very positive. And the other really important factor to bear in mind is you're having cross-pollination between jurisdictions. So you're having, for example, startups in places like Kazakhstan going off and, and operating in the UK. You're having synergies between places like Malaysia and Singapore and Indonesia. And so for us as a law firm, that means that there is a huge, uh, and as a market leading firm for Islamic finance, there's a huge opportunity to grow the, the, the client base that we have and the types of advice that we provide. And we're very well placed to do that. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Thank you so much, Akil, for you know taking the time to speak to us today. It's indeed a pleasure. No, that's that, thanks ever so much, Vinita, and thanks once again to iPhone for being here. Thank you for listening. For more discussions on the Islamic finance industry, log on to www.islamicfinancenews.com. You can also listen to IFN Podcast on your favorite platforms, including iTunes and Spotify.